You may be seated. Well, back in August, the Calvary staff participated in a visioning workshop together. I'd gotten to know Kat Gordon on a diocesan board and learned that she did this kind of thing from time to time. Some of you know Kat as the brilliance behind Muddy's Bake Shop here in Memphis and will understand that what really caught my attention was that snacks were part of the package. (laughs) My previous attempt at staff development had been an Enneagram workshop at St. Columba led by a very intense yoga instructor who at one point in the day likened personal transformation to the cooking of a chicken. And in this universe, he said, you cannot uncook a chicken. It was a vivid, if not overly helpful, takeaway. And by the end of this very awkward and uncomfortable day, we were pretty much cooked. (laughs) Mercifully, thanks to a little good humor and the extension of some Christian forgiveness on the part of the staff, we actually did get uncooked somehow, however. But Muddy seemed like my best shot at redemption. We met at the bakery over on Broad Avenue where Kat's team makes the magic that gets distributed to the retail shops around town. And after coffee and the first round of those promised snacks, we toured the bakery and then sat down to learn about this visioning thing. Now the gist of of visioning is to create a pretty detailed image of a scene in your life at some particular point in the future. There's some method involved, but the essence of the practice is that writing and editing a short narrative of what you would like to see happen. And Kat, as she was teaching us her method, she used a curious example of how effective visioning can be. She noted that dieting dieting statistics are famously dismal. Almost none of us sticks to what we start. But there is one subcategory of humans who do manage to reach a dietary goal, brides. A bride often carries a very vivid image of what she wants to look like on a very particular day in her future, right? And brides are remarkably good, apparently, at sticking to a diet. Now... Kat fully appreciates that this is a hugely problematic example. She understands that it assumes a distorted and oppressively narrow definition of feminine beauty, one that is promulgated, I'd say, by a massive bridal industrial complex that makes the Pentagon look like an Elks Lodge. (laughs) Not only that, I mean, let's face it, uh, Kat sells cupcakes for a living. But her point was that we might be able to capture the power of visioning for something more enduring than fitting into an expensive dress for a single photo shoot. Her team at Muddy's created a vision for what success would look like for a staff retreat they called Gnome Camp. Kat and her husband created one for their house, one that helps them realize that a $50,000 kitchen remodel really wasn't what would make their home the place of joy and hospitality they hoped for. You could create one for Thanksgiving dinner that might lead you to insights like Let's face it, turkey is vastly overrated as a food. (laughs) Or maybe that seating Uncle Dave at the other end of the table from Cousin June will keep them from talking politics and throwing plates of stuffing at each other like they did last year, which is a shame because stuffing's actually delicious. There's power in visioning, whatever your goal or your process. There's power in holding an image of what wholeness or health or joy or justice might actually look like at some particular moment, in some particular place, in this particular world, 
before you figure out how to start working towards it. I wonder how you would describe the work of a prophet. Some say prophets are people who can tell us the future. They make predictions based on inside divine information and let people know what's about to happen. There are such stories in the Bible, but that might not be the essence of prophetic ministry. My Hebrew scriptures professor, Dr. Judy Fentress Williams, said being a prophet was less about foretelling than forthtelling. Prophet speaks the truth to the power, tells forth the present unjust reality so we can't go on living in denial about it, calls us on the carpet. When people say they want a preacher to be more prophetic, I think this is what they have in mind. They want us preachers to get blunter, harsher, maybe more political. They want us to be more willing to offend. Although, I've never met anyone who wants to be more offended himself by what his preacher says. It's more like, I really wish you'd be more prophetic and tell God's hard, unvarnished truth to my sister in Christ right over there, three rows up, just to the left. I think Jesus wants you to set people like her straight, preacher. Forthtelling, though, bringing forth to our attention injustices we'd rather ignore. This is part of the prophet's task, too. In fact, there's probably more forthtelling than foretelling. But there's le at least a third thing the great prophets do for us. I think they are visioners of the first order. They're the ones who provide us with clear, vibrant images, not of what's about to come to pass, and not of the world just as it is right now, but visions of wholeness and health, visions of what shalom would look like if it finally came to pass. Isaiah's peaceable kingdom is one such vision, right? Now some have rightly pointed out that we are still waiting on that vision all these centuries later. Actually, as a certain filmmaker who will remain nameless once said, the lion may lie down with the lamb, but the lamb is not going to get much sleep. So is such a vision actually useful to us? To us who still live in a world in which wolves and lambs and pretty much everyone else seems to be at violent odds? Some say this fanciful visioning is exactly the problem with religion. It's too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good and all that, right? And if our visions shift us away from the present moment and into wishful thinking that anesthetizes the experience of living in the world as it is, then it's probably not functioning as prophecies meant to function. But isn't it also true that we, and maybe especially now in our time, can barrel ahead with our lives without ever pausing to wonder what it is we're charging toward? Maybe we generally believe that the life Jesus and the prophets have called us to really does involve love for our neighbors, welcome for the stranger. Maybe we talk about abstractions like justice and mercy. But could it help to pause and flesh out a clearer vision of what a just and merciful world actually might look like? What it would look like in the actual lives of embodied human beings with ordinary needs and longings like ours. Isaiah did this. He gave us a vision of a world made whole, didn't he? And the first thing to note is, I'm sorry, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Isaiah's vision was not about getting back to the garden at all. It wasn't a return to Eden. 
It was a vision of Jerusalem as a city at one with itself. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people, the prophet says, on behalf of God. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. He says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. There it is. This is what we want, isn't it? For all children to live into their lives. Elders to be still vigorous and engaged in their communities. People inhabiting the houses they've built, enjoying the fruits of their own labor, not having that labor extracted by someone else or, or having to labor at work that has no connection with well-being. These are images of human flourishing. Before Isaiah lays out any kind of program to get us from where we are to that better world, he presents us with a vision of what wholeness looks like in the eyes of God. And this holy visioning suddenly strikes me as what our world seems so bereft of right now. There are prophets everywhere screaming about what's wrong. Where are our prophets holding up images of a world made deeply right? For everyone. As you know, it's hard to ignore the brokenness of the world in downtown Memphis. I swerve through the waves of people washing across the street to 201 Poplar as I drive to my office. I see a lot of cold, hungry Memphians getting a hot meal from our kitchen here on Sunday mornings. Unsheltered people bedding down on the great hall floor for room in the inn a couple times a week. The city's hurting in deep, deep ways. Hope can be hard to come by, even as Calvary responds as Calvary has for so many years. And it can be the same for us as individuals. We can go through our seasons of pain and loss, confusion, disconnection. We can feel adrift, alone, unworthy. Fill in the blank with your brokenness. So what I wonder here today is whether we might develop a vision of Calvary as an even fuller instance of Isaiah's peaceable kingdom in our city in the years to come. When I see all that you do as Christian ministers, I'm astonished all over again. You are people of justice and kindness. In addition to food and shelter, you give away beauty and music as you did Friday night in that fantastic Jubilee Singers concert, which was free. You pray for the sick, welcome the stranger, I could go on. While there's so much more to be done in Memphis, so much need and despair to be met, what I wonder is if God's calling us next to the question of how these various ways we live out the gospel of grace here at Calvary might be made a little more visibly one. Here's an example. Some of you have heard it before. Our offices are way up on the fourth floor, you may know. About as far away as one can get from most of the people of God behind a locked elevator, a couple more locked doors, right? And we're invisible to one, one another up there down a long, long hallway of doors. Well, what if we began to imagine a very concrete vision of this block where children in school and neighbors in need and priests typing sermons and bookkeepers paying bills and chefs preparing meals and volunteers tending to the clothes closet... What, 
What if we began actually entertaining a physical vision, not of Jerusalem as a city, but of Calvary as a block even more at one with itself? A place where the doings of all kinds of people were more visible to one another. A place open, accessible, and available for all kinds of interactions and encounters. A block here of Shalom. These may sound to you like very secular concerns, not spiritual matters for a church to take seriously, but, but when Isaiah presented his vision of Shalom, his vision of the holy city of Jerusalem made whole, it was not of a bunch of individuals having private spiritual experiences or performing personal acts of charity. He showed us a flourishing human community. People finding shelter together in houses they'd built the young and the old living out their days, enjoying the fruits of the good work they've been given to do. Even wolf and lamb, lion and ox, finding unexpected harmony in their common life. Such visions are not means of escape and avoidance. They're the sorts of concrete images of flourishing you and I have to carry with us if our lives are to be made anything like whole. They're and images Memphis needs to return to if it's to become a city more at one with itself as well. Prophetic visions that Calvary could become an even fuller expression of in the years to come. If today we set our hearts to filling them out and then making them real. <laughs>